Hello and welcome to the debug log number 64. Tonight we're going to do something, uh, it's a little bit different, but it's a little bit of the same at the same time. We're going to talk about UI, user interface, and UX, user experience. Now we talked about this before in our episode 2 where we talked about UI, but it was mostly listing a bunch of libraries and a bunch of practical considerations about resolution and stuff like that. And as we expand out into these topics, we always have the difficulty of saying, well, we don't want to get sometimes too technical because then it's just boring, it's very specific. But also, as we get into more design-related topics, it can be a little flowery and it can be a little soft in what we're saying because we're just giving our opinions sometimes. And that's, you know, thesis of the shows, we're just kind of shooting the shit and giving our opinions. But we thought it'd be useful as we to dive deeper into some of these topics like this, the design-related topics, with a more formal approach. So tonight we're going to talk about UI and user experience, but we're going to do it from a formal standpoint where we kind of analyze some of the research and theory out there that has gone into, you know, just a vast field of just not just in games, but also in web applications and interfaces all over the place. And so what makes a good user interaction, a good user experience. Um, we're going to apply that. And then we're also going to talk about some, once you get that formal training and formal just definitions in place, we're going to talk about some practical methods and things to think about as you start to make the UI for your game. So it's a cool discussion. It's a different, it's heavy on a lot of uh, academia, if you will, but it's really cool. And it's just like a lot of things, it's hard to give specific advice because we don't know what your game is, we don't know what you're trying to do, but we can at least give you a formal uh, framework to ask a bunch of questions that will hopefully, in the end, make your game better. Alright, so without further ado, this is the Debug Log, episode 64. That feels weird, I haven't been on the past two episodes. Yeah, you yeah. haven't. Daddy's back. Daddy's back. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I'm peeking a lot in this one. Yeah. <laughs> you remember what to say? I was, I was, I was trying to think. I was like, you're listening. <laughs> you're listening to the Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're listening to the Debug Log, a podcast about game development. My name's Andrew Curry. I'm Obino Aparo. I'm Zach Schneider. And I'm Eduardo Castillo Fernandez. Yes, we're back. We're back. You had... No, you're back. Oh, I'm back. <laughs> We've been here. Zach, Zach and I are back, too. Yeah. Zach hasn't been oh, on yeah, Zach. a few, maybe. But you guys had some really good episodes. I have a beef. To, I have a bone to pick with you. We'll get to that later, Obina. About the last episode, I'm, I'll let you. I'll let, I'll let that burden hang over you the rest of this episode until the oh, end. Okay. Um, before we get started, you had some stuff to read, right? Some awesome new iTunes reviews. Oh yeah, we had a, a brand new iTunes review uh, from Shady Radio or Shade Eye Radio, uh, one or the other, uh, who says personable and informative. I just wanted to thank you all for the episodes and hard work you put into the show. I've been working on a passion project for almost two and a half years, and I spent many hours in that time listening to podcasts covering many disciplines. The best ones are those that balance being super informative with being very approachable and friendly, and TDL fits that perfectly. Even if I'm not interested in a particular subject, I still listen to every episode because it feels like I'm hanging out with knowledgeable game dev colleagues over lunch. Keep it up. I'm bummed that I miss you guys in Unite LA. We're bummed that we missed you as well. 
he was exhibiting or he or she was exhibiting Invisigun in the Made with Unity Hall. Thanks again for making my one-man team feel larger than it is over the past couple of years. Oof, that was a nice one. Oh, yeah, appreciate I, it. Thanks. Made me feel bad for not seeing. We must. I don't remember that. We had there's again. Remember, there's like forty games in that thing. So yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, before we continue, um, I want to thank our Patreon supporters because um, their help uh, is um, super important for us. So yes. this is a shout out for all of them. Thank you guys. Yes. All right. Well, speaking of super informative and. <laughs> <laughs> and tonight's show we're gonna take a deep dive something we uh we used to do more often but we've done a lot of recently too but we did a we're gonna talk about user interface or user experience and all that stuff and we did one episode way way back it was the second episode it was the third episode but it was titled the second episode <laughs> um and i went back and listened to that episode because I wanted to do more about UI. Because again, as I mentioned in that episode, it's one of my favorite subjects. I love UI. I'm not going to get ranty tonight. This is more just informational. So we'll get <laughs> that one, I was really ranty. But in that episode, we talked. It's like you and your UI. We were real cutesy with the name back then. And <laughs> what that episode is about is really just us going through um, <laughs> Unity, the li- available libraries at the time. I think Unity is on 4.5 back then. Right, 4.6 was the beta, so yeah. the new GUI just came out. And we kind of went through scale form. Uh, and GUI. Yeah. We went through scale form, and you say, I'm going to use it in the next project. And then I was like, no, Obina, because I know the next project you used it on, and we had so much trouble with it. I was like, no, don't. I'm from the future. Don't use it. Anyway. Yeah, but, then I had to finish it. Yeah, and then Obina. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Left you at my mess. So this one, and then we went over some best practices, but even the best practices were very practical, meaning like, look at your resolutions and make it pixel perfect and all this stuff. And um, that's all well and good, and that's great if you're starting out and you really want to just kind of start playing with the UI and stuff like that. But tonight I thought we'd talk about some more theory and practice about UI, like the idea of what user experience is, what UI is, and just there's because there's a whole academic, you know, uh like records and knowledge around this subject because it applies to anything, any fields from web design to application design to just interface in general. And then how you unique uh, game UI is and why it's actually special from those things. And then I thought we'd, we have some best practices, but they're a lot, they're much more um, tip related, not just like you do this physically with your game with platforms and stuff. This is more like not philosophical either, but they're more like, mindset stuff and stuff to keep in mind when you're making UI. Cause it might, they're again, cause they're just like everything in the show. You can make a billion different types of games in a billion different types of ways. And that could work for you. And also with UIs, it's just, these are great things to keep in mind as you're, if you're having problems or if you're having, you know, inconsistencies, stuff like that. No, but not only that, um, you have some really good definitions in this episode too. So yeah. And it, yeah. And so a lot of the knowledge we have, we, like it's just, it's, it's, it's stuff that's been out there in the field and just in general UI, research and it's it's super interesting it's all in the human computer interaction that hci field and it's awesome if you really some of this stuff seems obvious after you look at it but it's really great to keep in mind as you get into the process of the ui stuff um also it's funny enough when i started this (laughs) to put this episode together um last time that's happened i think when we did the scope episode i already had read a bunch of articles and i'd already put in all my opinions and all you guys' opinions and then that you know, you guys have heard that YouTube series at extra credits Yeah, before. Yeah. It's good. I mean, I know Zach watches it. It's, it's cool. It's like it has a really informative stuff because they're like one of those. They're like game developers, too, but they have a bunch of different subjects. 
And then the day that I did that, I found a scope one they did, and it was really helpful, you know. Today, as I'm putting this outline, finishing it, they put out a UX one today. <laughs> UI one. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's cool. All right, so maybe it's a <laughs> maybe it's a good sign. And they had some good, helpful tips that I kind of peppered in here too. Are you sure you're not just copying off the? Well, that was an eight minute <laughs> video, and I have a much I have much more in this from eight minute video. But I did I did help you know grab some of their little opinions. So it's it's it, that's a great resource by itself. Go go check that out if you're a game that's developer. Right. All right, so last time we talked specifically about UI, and I thought we'd get into the discussion by talking about. UI, but also what the you know the UX or user experience actually means. I'm gonna I'm gonna pull a, a Eduardo in here and ask you guys what you think a user experience is or what you guys interpret that is. Um, for user experience, um, what I understand is uh, like what the the uh, player or the person that is going to use your game. Uh, yeah, let's say game. It could be applications too, but let's keep. Yeah, it we'll talk game. about games. Yeah. Yeah. So the player of your game is gonna see and how it's going to um, like go through your uh, game from the main menu options and all those interactions is that interface that allows them to uh, go through your game onto the um, game um, scene, which also contains um, user interface, but is more noticeable in the main menu um, scene. So yeah, yeah. For me, like when I uh, when I hear user experience or UX, I, I think it's like literally just how the user is experiencing that application or this game, uh, how easy it is to use, how pleasing, how enjoyable it is, uh, how intuitive that user interface, and how the interaction between you know the user slash player to it is to the game slash application. So just how their experience is uh, as far as ease of use and you know pleasure. <laughs> Uh, for me, great. it's it's more of like pretty much any interaction a, a user has with your program. So how you deliver information to them, how they deliver information to your program. So all, all of that kind of combines into the, the user experience. Yeah, and it's kind of weird too when you look at this stuff because it's hard to – and then that's all right because when you look at the – um, when you start talking about user interface, everybody's like, yeah, well, it's your power-ups and your health and all those things. But it's everything. It's it's from like when you have status effects like in League of Legends, you know, and your player's glowing or something or like just how we're actually communicating any kind of visual or auditory or tactile thing to the player. And that's all actual UX too. UX can be into other things and it can there's can be a little bit of game flow stuff in there and actually how the systems of your game work. But I would say like the main tool of a user experience like uh, designer is the UI. It's how they interact because the UI can encompass all that feedback and how they're teaching you the game and stuff. Because um, even this is the I'll give this is the uh, I'll give credit to the extra credit because they actually had this metaphor in that video. They talked about the UI and the UX. They used this store metaphor, meaning like if you're a game designer, you make systems and you're a great programmer and you all this stuff. It's basically like you can make really great clothes. Like you can make all different types of clothes or different types of people. They're like, you know, fashionable. They look great. And they also work really well. They're made well. They last long, all that stuff. But the problem is you need to actually have a store, some way to sell that to people. You need a way that people can come in and buy those clothes and experience that and get out of there. And that's what they say the UX person is because you might, because everything they said, usually in the past, like the game designer or a programmer or, or artist, would kind of take over the UX of a project, right? And smaller companies and stuff. Mm -hmm. And while that can actually work out and it can be great, 
it's not necessarily just because you can make the best systems and the best kind of battle system or fighting system in the world doesn't mean you know how a player should experience your game, right? Because yeah. it really takes like a third, not a third eye, but they always talk about authors like you need to read it as yourself, but you also you need to read it as an audience reading it, right? Mm-hmm. And see what it would be like. And, and that could be hard. I mean, from an artist standpoint, it really goes into the spectrum, the side of, but it's pretty, you know, like we used to have those horrible flash sites back in the day where they're like, they look kind of neat, but these, this is horrible. It doesn't work. It's that whole form versus function. And on the programmer side, they attend, I mean, it tends to be very functional, you know, like we talked about in the last of that on GUI, you know, functional uh, interfaces that work and that are the most optimized for efficiency, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the best experience for your core audience playing it or experiencing it. Um. <clears throat> So yeah, and that and that and they, in in that actually a definition, of, they basically said the UX is where the players and the games meet in there, right? And so it is. It's always a back and forth because if you're doing UI and user experiences, you're gonna you have to work with everybody. I mean, because the artist is the one that might actually put the polish on it. The game designers, I mean, Zach and I. This the reason this topic came up is too because Zach, I'm at this point in our game where I'm putting all the screens together and how the inter- interface will work, and like we talked about today. That's not just how the interface would work. It actually changes systems in the game, right? Yeah. And how you experience something. So if I change a screen in an upgrade, uh, on an upgrade screen for a character, that might change how Zach has to program the upgrade system. You know, so you really have to work. It's a really back and forth between all of that. So it is. Gotcha. It, go ahead. So speaking of like the back and forth, I'm curious, uh, what, when do you think UX starts? that engine starts going in a game. Does it, does it happen on the onset? Does it, or does it happen? Like you said, during system being built or after, or like, when do you think UX needs to be made a priority? I guess. I think it's from the beginning and I'll get into that later with some of the method stuff. Okay. So they, they have some, but, I, but, but I, I absolutely think that's kind of, that's a good that you said that. Cause that's kind of, that's if we can have one message tonight, that's one of those things that's like, this is stuff you need to be thinking about, or somebody needs to be thinking about, user experience stuff from the beginning, I would say. Because to me, that's a part of the game design because you're thinking how they would experience it. And that's why, even as I talk to Zach in our game, it's like, and I told him this today, it's like every time I think of a feature, I'm not thinking of just the system. I'm thinking of, is that fun? How can they, I mean, is that worth them seeing that or is that too complicated? You know, stuff like that. So I think it's integral to the beginning. The thing is that you want to deliver an experience to your players you just don't want to present something that is a system and it doesn't have like the fun factor in your game. And right. now that um, you mentioned all the, like, you clarified the definition of user interface, uh, I just want to clarify that what I said was uh, uh, user, you said user experience. I was talking about user interface, which is not the same thing. I just realized when uh, Zach, um said what he thought user experience was, that I was wrong. So just wanted to say that. What's well, sort of the same. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, there's the, there's the big, the UI design and UI experience is really the main tool of a user experience person, really. I mean, there, it kind of goes off into other areas, too. Like I said, it can tweak the system and tweak the flow and tweak the music of the game stuff, but that can all be, that's all feedback. So it really goes into what you define as UI, too, right? Like, if it's all the way they interface it when they, they're getting feedback, it's it's kind of a murky area, but yeah, you're right. And like, and before we go on, like I, the big stuff about, uh, 
the big misconception, like I said, if it's maybe on the art side or even on the programmer side, there can be a big myth about like UI in that sense that, or even just user experience, people can wait to the end and not care about it and think that, oh, that's just polished. That's just stuff to make it look fine or good. And that's not really the case. Cause like I said, you need to do it from the beginning. Think about this stuff from the beginning, just because UI, I've said before, I come from a graphic design background. Even if you're making a flyer and you're designing a flyer, you're not just doing something to be pretty. You're solving a problem. Like people need to know about something. And in a game, you need to communicate your systems, how to play the game, what their status is, all that junk to them in one time or different times and when it's appropriate. So, and it, but it's a weird, it's, it's also, again, it's a weird murky area just because murky area, just because the, it overlaps because maybe the way it looks and is nice is a part of that experience and the feedback and stuff, but it's all there to solve a problem. And in the end, even before we jump into all this stuff, in the end, really the UI is is the goal. The main goal is to make it disappear. Like it should feel like an extension of you playing the game. Like as developers, we can like, oh, this is really great UI. I love how this is stuff, how this works and it feels intuitive. But for a player, what you're really trying to do is to make them, it become invisible to them in a way, right? Just like a good film when it's edited well, like you don't notice the editing. You're just experiencing this thing, and it's like, oh, this is amazing. So, uh, you, think, you know uh, a great example of that? Oh, sorry, Avina. Uh, the Deadpool movie, when they put like the scene at the beginning, uh, when they're showing the uh, people who made the game, and you remember that part? That is the crash in the car. Oh, when they have like the funny stuff or whatever, they're using yeah, that yeah, as a yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's I mean that's the thing too is like and, and that's different ways to play with it, but it's using something in people. That's somehow that in a way that's kind of doing the opposite, but it's in a fun way because you're making use of something you people usually like uh, ignore, and then it's like oh this is fun though, so check this out. So yeah, and absolutely because that's what we'll get to too. It's part of the the, the big the big uh, argument I always have is that UI people don't think of it as something um, something that's necessary, but. I mean, they think it's necessary, but it's not just the main priority. But the, what we'll get to in a second is the game. The difference between game UI is that games have a story and a narrative, or some kind of fiction, or some kind of theme, or something, whatever it is. And to me, the UI is is that whole part of that experience. It's just like Apple got famous for having this crazy unboxing experience, you know, with their products. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you unbox this thing, or and glass, it's you know, yeah. buildings. <laughs> yeah, but it's just, it's all part of the the narrative you're telling yeah, yourself. Yeah. And I, it's, I, I wanted to. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to jump back to what you were saying about like UIs becoming invisible and actually pose a question is or just a thought that I was thinking is like, is, you know, that mention of UIs becoming invisible? It seems like that's become like uh, something that's been prevalent in all like aspects of development, whether it's, uh, you know, web design, you know, mobile games, uh I don't know, you name it. It's just like more and more UIs are getting more simple, I guess, and more abstracted away or sometimes even invisible. Like even on mobile games, like uh, mobile fighter games, you, you get away from that joystick, you know, that physical or visible joystick and it right. maybe just is tracking your hand. So is that, you think people well, trying to lean that way or? Well, that's a way to interpret it, but it's not even meaning that. Like I don't mean literally, literally invisible. Yeah, yeah. Like, it means, like, that can be a way to do it. And we'll get to, like, Dead Space and other examples of that where they have, like, no HUDs. And uh, Assassin's Creed's big of that, too. But yeah. it's it's almost like it intrinsically just becomes a part of what you think about. Like, think about how you drive your car. You don't think about, I'm steering my wheel and, you know, and doing these things. Like, that interface is intuitive to you now. You don't think about driving your car. 
You just yeah, get I think, to. I think uh, the best example that I can think of right now is the um, UI in in VR, where people try to put them in the environment. You don't actually have a, like a HUD in your in your headset, like in front of your face all the time, which kills the experience. Maybe you have it in the elements of your of your game, uh, maybe in a gauntlet or something. Then, uh, or when you're playing a shooter, the stats would be in your gun, things like that. Yeah, okay, yeah, because VR. I mean, we don't get much into VR in this thing, but yeah, VR like allows you to, because it's real world, allows you to much more avenues to put it into a more intuitive sense in that way. Yeah, totally. Okay. So the first thing I have in this is this idea that there's a lot of papers. I've, I've read a few of them about things. And I thought I'd start off with just a general um, explanation of based on a few studies of what people go through when they're like actually interacting with a computer, with a system, with a game or something. And this is helpful just to make sure that hey, just in one of these steps you're executing and actually thinking about how that act. You can ask yourself questions of whether you're performing and whether they're getting what they think they need out of a, out of just a, out of almost like a UI transaction, out of the experience of one action or something. So these are called the seven stages of actions. And we can go through these quickly, but number one is forming the goal. So if the player is actually saying, I want to upgrade my thing, you know, I want to look at my inventory or something, we'll use an inventory system. Like, I want to do that. And so that, that idea in their head is that they, they first, they form a goal. The second thing is they form, the intention, which means they say, okay, to do that, I'm going to have to click on that, right? Or if a website, I'm going to have to click on that link to go to the next site, right? Um, then the idea is that number three is they specify an action sequence, the, like what they need to actually do, what they think they actually have to do in this world. This really breaks it down because it's like goal to intention to what they think they need to do. And then they do it. Number four is executing the action so they do it. And so that this is when it gets interesting because then this number five is when the player actually does something or a user does something. The next the next thing they're waiting for is perceiving what happens, right? They need the, if you're looking for the feedback, you're looking for the button to depress or the hover to work or whatever's happening. Um, number six is whether something happened or not. They actually have to interpret what happened. Like, oh, I see that that button pressed down. This is where I actually can do something or that means something. And that goes into number seven, which is evaluating the outcome. And that, that, those, those seven things might actually sound very, um, um, basic, right? You're like, duh, right? <laughs> but doing it, breaking it down that way at each one of those steps, you can actually break out questions, you know, because especially with intention, because like, yeah, when they execute an action, see, see feedback and number six, they interpret it. They see, you see that feedback and number seven is how they, how well, how good your feedback is like, oh, yeah, like you upgraded your weapon in the inventory. But really the, a lot of the UI and design stuff comes into that idea of I need to form a goal with the game design. I need to form an intention and, and they need to figure out the intuitiveness of it is on a scale of oh. <laughs> somebody's adored it. What Edward. the hell is that? <laughs> that was a little dance break. He's like, I need to spice this up. I need to spice it up for a second. <laughs> so this is getting boring as hell. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> but so, yeah, the idea is that the, 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 the specifying the action sequence and knowing it, that's where like the rubber hits the road is like the player actually um, 
thinking what they did and you know what they want to do and how to do it and to see if it happened. Gotcha. I kind of want to jump back and, and pause for a second and talk about year number five, which was perceiving the state of the action or the world right. after they executed the action. And when you originally said that, I was thinking I, I replaced perceiving with you know predicting. Because I feel like me personally, when I am interacting, I execute an action on a game or application. What I usually do personally is I predict what I think will happen, like what I, you know, what I could gauge what happened after that response or after that action. Um, is that what it's saying, or is it literally just perceiving what actually happened and then interpreting that would be number six? Well, some of that, if you still want to say predicting, you're kind of tying in the ideas of what, like, um, of like, whatever the intention is too. So that's like a little, you know, that's a little different, but yeah, it's, it's, it's basically the same thing. You're perceiving it, but you have the whole, the, the, all the four steps leading up to that is you forming an intention and want and expecting something to happen. So it really breaks down perceiving it, then interpreting it into the, we think we think it's some of those is like just one step. Right. But, but you're right. It's like you, there is a, at that point, those five, six and seven is about comparing what actually happened to what you actually expected to happen. Gotcha. You know, in that way. And like I said, some of these things can seem very basic, but I find if you put that, a lot of the times if you're having, what, what this is good for, what I found and looking at it, just talking about it now might be boring or just talking about it in general. Like, okay, yeah, whatever. But if you're having, if you do a lot of testing of the game or with an interface and you're having specific uh, problems, right, with like, why aren't they doing this? Why? This 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 works in a design standpoint, just from an analytic standpoint, to really let's break this down and see at each of these steps: Are they having a problem forming the goal? I mean, do, is their motivation unclear? You know, are they having problem forming intention? Which means, do they not see how they get from A to B here? Are they having problems satisfying action sequence? Which means, are they saying, "Okay, I know what I want to do, but I don't actually know how to do it"? Right? So. It, it, it's in the abstract and talking, discussing it. It's not interesting, but if you actually have problems with the interface and you don't know what to do and you think something's obvious, it's helpful to break them down in these. Yeah, so. I don't even think it, it's it's boring or or not. I think even like these, what would be seemingly simple. I think as developers, we often you know get when you kind of push that out of our our, our frame of we're reference. Just like stupid we, users, what, like, exactly when we're yeah. building UIs and we're building right. games, and I think having these outlined steps is a good way for us to focus and I guess structure the way we build our games out and especially build our user interfaces. Because when we start running through this, we start to say, "Oh, that's how you know a user interface would work or make sense for this particular action." So I think it just it, it really just helps outline and better predict what we can you know build as we're developing. And, and what I thought was kind of cool too is that like if you break down these, if you look at the steps, they kind of apply to different departments of a game dev oh, project because like forming the goal that's design like whether you're motivated or whether you see like oh i need to upgrade my stuff mm-hmm. i need to do that the forming the intention you know that also gets into that saying well that that's part of the ui but it's also part of things happening you know the action sequence specifying that that's programming and whether some of that stuff actually works you know so i think it handles a lot of disciplines there where people kind of kind of have come to jesus here and say is this actually working you know or yeah, are we I'm, just I'm, do you have an example like showing these steps, these seven steps? Yeah, I mean, you can use any example. You, you like, what do you want to say? Inventory like, system. Yeah, I'll okay. do the inventory system. Say I want to <laughs> say uh, say I want to upgrade a piece of equipment in my inventory system. Okay. So it's like 
or just say, yeah, or say I want to upgrade. That's a, your goal. Yeah. So forming the goal, number one, forming the goal, you'd have to say, one, I know that I can do that, right? We've somehow communicated to the player that we can do that and that this is the place to go do that. Um, forming the intention means that, that okay, I need to actually go to this this place and I'm going to upgrade it here. Forming the goal is, and the intention are sort of similar, but they're different kind of existentially, right? The goal is more motivation and the intention is a little more practical. And then once it gets to the sequence, you're saying, okay, right now it's, it's, it, I see what I need to do. I need to do this, this click here and it'll, and it'll do it. So number four, you do it. You click the button that says upgrade. Number five, you go, what happened? Did something ching on the screen? Did something, you know, like ching or did it like go, I don't know, did fireworks go off or did nothing happen? So number six is where you're actually seeing that, you know, you're interpreting, well, nothing happened or the fire, fireworks went off. You know, what did that mean? And number seven is like evaluating what happened to what you predicted. Yeah. So actually that's what you're, that's your, that answers your question, Ovina. Number seven is actually evaluating your predictions to what actually happened. Gotcha. And that's it. And for clarification on the form and the goal versus the intention, uh, is could that be equated to like, say you have a, a grayed out upgrade button and when you click on an equipment item, that upgrade becomes visible or it becomes like interactable. And then the intention is that like the, you form the intention by highlighting that upgrade button. Is that kind of like how the flow would be? You would think. Well, <clears throat> the way I interpret this again, this I didn't come up with this, so this is yeah. like. This is, so, 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 <laughs> but the way I always interpret this is that forming the goal is actually much more um, entrenched. It's much more uh, ethereal in the sense that forming the goal is saying, "I want to upgrade my equipment. I know mm-hmm. I can." Forming the intention, saying, "I need to do this to do like." I need to go to this menu, these systems to do that. And then the action sequence is, these are the buttons I need to click to do that. Yeah. Like forming the goal was much more the idea that, like, that I can do that, that I can upgrade my equipment and do stuff. And that comes yeah. from, it doesn't, and that's weird because that, that overflows in from, <laughs> from other menus and other tutorials we've shown them before that stage. Oh, you know what my, I mean? Like, tell me if this is um, correct. Like forming the intention. <laughs> What? Is it funny? No, it's just... <laughs> it's because we keep grilling him about this. It's kind of funny. Sorry, go ahead. Senator, such, I don't believe this. Troll. Oh yeah. my God, I really want to learn this. <laughs> so forming the intention, um, what I'm thinking right now is if you, know, you have your button to your inventory, but if you hover over it, it will like pop up or something. Because, I mean, that's a representation that the player wants to uh, upgrade, like go to the inventory. Well, but see, even see, this goes down the rabbit hole, guys, because if you say, mm-hmm. if you say hovering over a button to show me something, that's a whole sequence of this before you even hit that thing. Cause that's like a nested one, because I want to do that. But forming the goal is saying I want to, they kind of, it's nested in there saying, oh, when I hover over this, I expect something to happen. Maybe I expect to see some kind of information. Okay. So even that's like nested. It's all coming off of the same goal, which you want to do. But even the goal might be different because you could say, I want to figure, find out how to, upgrade, you know, what this, what this upgrade means. So you can get super granular with this and get really esoteric with this stuff. But <laughs> I think if you just, it's a, I think it's a generalized framework for, uh, like we say, the best, you know, that's what we always say in the show from every subject we talk about. 
we can't tell you what to do, but the best thing we can do is give you frameworks to ask questions, you know, for yourself. And this is a great thing because these are seven questions you can ask with any kind of UI transactional. So. Cool. All right. So. <laughs> well, I got a quick, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> in that, in the, I just want to mention it quick, related to those, those kind of seven actions, that theory that this is what a user goes through. They have a couple, two different types of, um, mismatches and kind of where things fire and there's an error and what where we fail as UI people and like where something doesn't happen the way it wants to. And so why we said, like you said before, there's a goal, they have two of them. They're both called gulfs. The gulf of execution is like kind of what you said, Obina, with like the mismatch between what the user's intentions and the allowed actions. Actually, actually it's a little different. Not what you said. It's it's actually, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's it's an execution of saying that gulf of execution is saying this is one we experience all the time. I know Zach does all the time with this. He talks about game design stuff. This is when, why can't I add more bullets to my gun in this screen? And it's like, no, sorry, you can't do that. Like when you expect there to be functionality that's not there. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like, why can't I just hit back and go back to my missions or something? You know, that that's annoying as hell. And the goal of evaluation is when the expectation, the system's representation of that or what happens is falls short. So that's basically when your prediction falls short of what actually happened. So those are two types of ways that can fail, but it's it's just kind of a, these are all kind of hoity-toity academic ways, but they're helpful, I think, to look at this stuff. So speaking of hoity-toity ways of looking at this stuff, the other kind of thing, <laughs> um, the last kind of thing I want to talk about just conceptually, these are the, this is the last pro- professor moment I'll have tonight, and then we'll get into more, <laughs> more practical methods and stuff that are fun. Um, like I said before, we talked about all UI systems and being like from web or applications or just kiosk or, you know, in like the interface on a car or whatever it is. Everything has a UI and a lot of these methods and even that, that what we just said, the seven steps of action, seven stages of action can actually apply to that. But the one, the big difference that, um, that games have over everything else, unless you have kind of crazy website is that games have fiction applied to them, right? Whether that, I mean, not everything, I guess some things are very minimal, but let's just, for the sake of it, let's just say they all do. They all have some kind of theme or design or a fiction, literally in the case of a narrative and a story tied to them, tied to their UI. So that means the UI can actually, there becomes a problem. It's not just like, oh, here's a website. You don't go onto Amazon and go, how does this UI affect the story of Amazon? You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, it's there. It's in front of you on a piece of paper, like on a screen, you know, I'm going to click here, click here. It's total utility. But with the game, it's like, oh, I'm playing, you know, I'm playing The Witcher. And so a lot of times game designers and people and story writers, they come with the idea of like, oh, how does this UI thematically match? How can it integrate into the world? Because remember, UI is not just the screens and the flat stuff. We'll talk about this is what this describes. It's also things in the world. It's status messages, all those things. So because UI can be involved in the story in fun ways and in interesting ways, and that's why it's super cool. You have, there's a lot of people have dissected it into like four different types of ways it can be involved in your game. All right. So let's start with the first one. The, and a lot of these, these, these terms come from the diegetic and non-diegetic we'll get into. Those come from like movie making and stuff. So, so the first, the first way, the different, the different type, the way a game, uh, UI can be integrated in your game is diegetically. Um, in a, in a movie, a diegetic, I, I say this all the time. It's like, you know, when like in a movie you hear a sound, like you hear a song playing and they cut to the scene and then that song's playing on the radio in the car and they turn it yeah. off. Uh-huh. That's an in-world 
thing that's happening that's diegetic or the news reports happening and, you, and it cuts to them watching it, but it's also giving you information that's diegetic. So in a game, yeah, it's some. yeah. So in a game, it's interface that is included in the game worlds, meaning that the the best examples of this I can think of are um, Dead Space and Far Cry Two. Like Dead Space, if you guys ever played it, I don't know if you had. Like they don't they have a hudless system for the most part. Like his power, the guys, your minor guy's power is like how many things you can see it light up on his back, right? Mm-hmm. And then like even the even when they do have crafting menus and they have like the market where you buy stuff. It actually is your physical character walking up to a terminal, and it pops up a hologram in the world. The hologram is supposed to be in the world, so if you walked up to him, you'd see that, right? So, gotcha. yeah. And so, and what I was going to say, too, is like, the, there's like a, you guys made fun of me from a matrix I put in here, this graphic. Um, <laughs> and if you look it up, you'll find this thing. For each of these stages, you ask the two questions, is, is, it, is, the, is the UI in the game story, and is it in the game world? Right. So for diegetic things, it's in the game story because it's actually part of it and it's in the game world. Like the division's like that too, right? Yeah. Like, Division has that too. Yeah. Because yeah. you pop up that thing and that's a real hologram in the world that's playing for those guys. So when you say in the game story, could you go into that a little bit more? Like, what well, means it's like fictionally in the so, fictional? Yeah. So in the game okay. world means just spatially. Like it's fi- like it's in the 3D, you know, it's not 2D flat on your screen. It's in the world. But in the game story means those characters see that too. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Like in the division, when he, that character puts up the little holograph thing, that's not just something on your screen. You see that he supposedly sees that, or he or she sees that in on the ground in front gotcha, of him. Right? Gotcha. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So on the other end, you have non-diegetic stuff, which is every other game in the world. Most, most UI system, it's the Amazon, it's everything else. Right. Meaning that mm-hmm. it's it's literally the 2D stuff on your screen, like the power, the blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes they try to make that diegetic scene saying like, oh, this is your heads up display that's coming online, like in Halo or something, right? But a lot of games like, no, this is just your power and stuff. Like Angry Birds has the little birds up there. That's all non-diegetic when it's totally, yeah. So, t- so non-diegetic, it's not in the game story and it's not in the game world. It's like whatever UI and the other, it's whatever UI other every other UI in the world is like Amazon, like I said, or your iPhone apps or whatever it is. I wonder, is there like a, a sweet spot for you know game world and games or versus game story UI representations in your games? Like they're you know the, a good mix of how much to use of each. I guess it depends on. I mean, that stuff really depends on how much information you know you're trying to get. Like trying to communicate. Yeah, that's true too. I mean, because you think about the division has both, right? Because you, ostensibly, mm-hmm. when the division, like when you go into I guess it's when you go into the screens. I mean, you could argue that it's all diegetic, but when they go into the screens where they're upgrading and equipping stuff, you mm-hmm. could say, well, that's a menu that I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Or like the system menu is totally non-diegetic because they don't see the turn off or exit the main menu and stuff like Seems that. Like you know? It actually has to, is kind of dependent on the narrative of the story or how or the theme of the story of the game, I guess. Because you it has to make, I guess, make sense for the game, I think. Depending on how much diegetic versus non-diegetic, I, I don't know. Actually, you could argue both ways, and I think games have actually implemented both ways. So, I don't know if there's a. I can. I guess I can argue that whether what what makes uh, <clears throat> the better yeah. hide. I guess. Yeah, and those are both the two ends of the extreme because the diegetic again, it's like it's again. Movie is a great example. Is it's when the thing's playing and the characters hear that song and you hear it too, mm-hmm. right? And but also. And it's like it's for it's for you and it's for everything else. And the non diegetics like it's just music playing on the soundtrack. They don't actually hear that. 
it's not in their world and it's not part of the story. It's just part of your experience alone. Um, so in between that, you have a couple, you have spatial, which is when you have a UI element actually in the 3D world, which happens in most 3D games now, right? That are like, um, health bars and stuff. Well, no, 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 not health well, bars. Well, sometimes health bars are on, are just, well, this is like, this is like not when it's 2D fly on the screen. I'm meaning like when you go, oh, there's like a beacon on this thing or there's like, like a, a oh, no, you're marker. right. No, you're right. You're totally right. Yeah. Health bars like in Destiny or something. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. So, like inside of the game. Yeah. yeah. So if the character doesn't see that, like, you know, fictionally, he doesn't actually see that. And that's just for you or it says level or it says whatever, but it's, it's, it's oriented in 3D space. You know, like level up. Right. Because even like in Borderlands, you have like they your main menu is all in 3D space and you can kind of walk with it. But those characters aren't supposedly seeing that. You know what I mean? Like they're just there. They don't represent it as being a hologram or something. It's just in 3D oh, space. So in games like uh, Dota and uh, Smite, when you see the health bar of the players on top of their head, yeah, like that's spatial? Right. Yeah. Uh, Some of that stuff is spatial. Like the stuff you see... Yeah, any kind of indication that that exists in that 3D space where the, yeah, where you have like the 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 character selects, you know, or like in StarCraft when you you mouse the over Sims. and you or yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Sims is like that too. But when you mouse over things in like a strategy game and it has the like selected icon, that's spatial because they don't see that. <laughs> You're right, but it is in the game world. So, that th- these two are easier cuz then meta is different cuz meta is, the only examples I can think of, and they actually do this, is like blood spat- splatter on a camera and first-person shooters. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, well, when you get wounded or something, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, meaning it's not, like, really, when when that question is, is it in the game world, that means, basically, is it 2D or 3D, right? Is it 2D flat on your screen? But in the game store, it is in the game store, because that's supposed to be blood, I guess, right? And it's there, but it's it's not represented in 3D in that space. It's just 2D. But I can't think, you guys, I can't think of any other meta ones that are... Um, that are in the game story, but not, I mean, I guess you could argue that those HUDs that are supposedly part of their helmet out read, read out. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that, uh, who knows? So anyways, I, th- those are four ways that they're not, they're, they're not necessarily prescriptive and helpful and like, um, practical and like thinking about what for your UI, but it's actually helpful in breaking them down and seeing what people think about, you know, and how to make interesting ones. And it helps you really realize how cool games like dead space and stuff are that integrate those more. Right. Um, so yeah, so that's that, 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 that'll, those are good topics. Diegetic, non-diegetic. That'll help you at cocktail party. You can talk about that stuff. In movies. <laughs> <laughs> diegetic means in the world and part of the story. Non-diegetic means out of it. And that's the easiest one to remember. All right. So now that now that now that professor time's over, <laughs> let's talk about some um, practical methods. Some that I found, and some that we can talk about because we'll talk about methods and just I have a general list of best practices we can kind of fly through and just see what it is. Um, so th- so the first thing the first thing is I always like we said we we already hit this point earlier. Being that I say you should start from the beginning, which means mockups and prototypes, and this led to what I said I was going to mention. There's like this idea called the peanut butter theory, which means that a lot of people think that hey, yeah, yeah, we'll just make all our systems, all the stuff, and then we'll smear the UI on at the end to glue everything together. And I was like, yeah, that's not going to work because that that point of that theory and that point of that stuff is saying like every team member, every this is they're not just saying the UX person, the UI person, they're saying. Every person needs to be thinking about usability on the team. Hmm. 
from the icon designer, right, to the the programmer doing systems and stuff. Because it has to come from the bottom up to get to that point where it, so the stuff's working together. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I actually have a quick question. One thing I've noticed, like, in my past jobs uh, is, like, the, I guess, segregation of like UI versus UX and where like UI when we're when thinking when we're creating new systems and we're creating these UIs for our systems the UI is just implemented to just look pretty or make that feature look pretty or look make it look polished I guess right but UX doesn't really it doesn't really get thought about from both from like you said from everybody it's not thought about much by the designer uh by the programmers or by the UI artists um do you, my question is like literally just why do you think that is? Why do you think you there's more UX, you know, you know, I guess developers on a lot of game teams and it's why just why like, it's not why that's an afterthought? Or yeah, or why this just like you we've kind of like it seems like there's UX is less important than just creating a UI for a system. Well, cuz it's fucking hard. That's why yeah. I think <laughs> I, like I think because it's it's I mean that's what Zach and I are going through right now. Like, cause I refuse to, to do final designs of those things until we get UX figured out and some of those stuff. And Zach's like, yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> so like, but like, we're having to bang out systems cause I, but I'm not refusing cause I'll make a few mock-ups. And I'm like, this is wrong. Hold on. We need to think about how this actually works. Mm-hmm. Because I, like you said, to make it look pretty is not hard. You can make nice polish and buttons and icons. The leather looks awesome, but it just, this is unusable. You know, we've had experience with that with past projects. <laughs> like you can make stuff look great all day and you can even make it functionally work. But mm-hmm. if it people don't understand how to do it, it's because I to me, UX is like the crux of game development. That's why I think it's the crux of what every awesome game that you I mean, there's few there's few exceptions of like crazy things that are like I don't know, there's that Dwarf Fortress game, there's some roguelikes where it's all ASCII characters and stuff. Versus there's very obtuse and stuff, but and there's some games like Dark Souls, which succeed on its systems alone and not really its usability, right? There's some mm-hmm. examples of that. But a lot of just the major amazing games, mm-hmm. they did stuff to communicate stuff to the player and they did stuff to help, you know, to teach people. Because to me, it's like, that's, to me, the usability part is all the game design. It's the the hard part of grabbing all the systems together and making sure somebody's experience in there is engaging. Like the narrative they're telling themselves through the story, through the experience is something that's actually interesting and not just like, Oh, that's cute. You guys have this really neat system or that's really pretty, but this is all dumb. So I, I just think it's hard. I think it's the hardest thing that's to bring right. all this stuff I th- together. I agree. I think, I think that's to me that if I were to throw something out there, I think like that's the, that is the failing of, most games like uh, a lot of games could be really good games or really smash it like a smash it if it weren't for you know terrible ux um like even like let me look beautiful may play functionally you know elaborate or maybe amazing in that regard but the ux just the experience of using those systems is horrible and that's what kind of kills the game almost like how like books or even like series this this is a rant actually that's fine (laughs) (laughs) like when when i read a good book or read uh watch a random series on like netflix even if the series didn't get much acclaim from a lot of people most of the times like the series ends up being pretty good because maybe it was just filmed really nicely or put together really nicely good music and it's not that the story was better than any other story you know on netflix it was just a great user experience in that regard so i think a lot of games could be made, you know, could be like really good hits if user experience was put at the very forefront well, and yeah. not just 
it's pretty, that it's that glue that puts everything yeah, yeah. together because it's not even just because even think about this you could have great design great pro, like i said great program but it, like the movie stuff you said it's i always compare stuff to the movie industry because i think it's apt you mm-hmm. could say to have like a great script and great actors who are really appropriately doing the part for that script to have great cinematography great sets a great director mm-hmm. it sounds impossible yet and you'll see something it's like yeah this is kind of goofy it's kind of written goofy but i like the action in it or like I love the writing in this, but this is like cheap as shit. Like, mm-hmm. but every now and then some, a movie hits you. You're like, holy hell, this yeah. is like a miracle that all this stuff works. And it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. And that's to me is the, I think that's usability of a movie too. It's, it's, it's usability is a weird word. Usability works for this interactive stuff, but I think it's almost pulling no, all I think those it parts is, I think together, UX you know is, what I mean? is what it is because like yeah. we well, just your experience my experience with the movie yeah yeah exactly how easy how pleasing it is to just sit down and, and like soak up that movie whether it's through the dialogue acting you know action and it's not show. even easy I mean even using those words because it's not even just easy or pleasing it's almost mm-hmm. how effective is this thing at communicating what it wants to communicate because you want to have a horror game like Resident Evil like people are playing Ryan you should play it it's like hell no I'm not playing that Ryan like <laughs> because that the way those are super effective is like it's just scary as hell. But if all the pieces come together, it's atmospheric. The controls are right. Just enough of the design works well with it. The acting, the sound design. If it all works together, that's the experience to me of pulling all those pieces together. Yeah. I don't know. I think that people uh, neglect a user experience because uh, how it gets confused with the user interface and uh, like if they don't think it through. They could say, well, let's make just a pretty icon that really represents what I want to say. But if they don't put too much attention to like how your players are going to use it and how they will have to click through a bunch of menus to get to what they want or they have to go back and go uh, enter in the menu again. Like those details, which are more like um, a gut that you have to have, you know, that sixth um, sense to say, yeah, this doesn't feel right. Um, it's because you have to experience it. People just say, nah, let's just put one uh, like button here, an icon or just a, a button with, with a text and it's really going to indicate what they have to do. But again, they just neglect that feeling that you have to have to uh, make the whole experience uh uh, feel perfect. Well, I, I like what you said there too, because the fact that we have trouble explaining it too, right, shows that, like you said, the idea that user experience gets confused with UI. Like I said, I think UI might be eighty percent of that user experience, and it's part of it, but then it's also bringing those elements together in the end, and kind of like creative directing too, you know, of a project and bringing it all together. Um, but it starts with UI because that's what you start with, and it ends with UI because UI is kind of the framework of all the game you're making too. So. But yeah, I think it's like, it just gets, UX gets kind of demeaned into being just UI. And we're kind of talking about UI. We're talking talking about both here, but if it's hard for us to differentiate and kind of really speak sometimes about both of them, you're right. The people just like, yeah, just make it pretty. It looks fine. Why can't people play this? You know? So I, I, I just think it's hard. The hardest part of a game is putting everything together. And, and so this is, and maybe, maybe that's kind of the point of this episode too, is like UI is not the total UX. But if you, but if you, I think if you frame your UI right, you're onto a good path. Like we can't, this, we're, this discussion is not helping you with your systems or your story or your music or some of those other things. But UI can do most of the job. You know what I mean? 
because you can have fun and experience a game. It can just have a crappy story. So I think it can get you there. It's just the other parts have to fill in. That actually, some, actually you know, some games kind of put that as their their bedrock or their anchor is the, is the game. It's like, you know, let's make our UI or the macro, you know, which is, you know, or the macro leverages UI and how they're interacting with these menus. Right. Let that be the center of the game. And hopefully that carries us, you know. And, right. and some people, some games have done that and have been successful at it. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, an example, uh, I think this is a good example for what we're talking about. When I was making um, The Hangman, um, I could put the uh, mute button in the settings, like I've seen a bunch of times. But usually when you're playing the game, uh, you go straight from the menu to, to the play scene where you have to guess the word. And if you have to mute your game really quick, going back to the um, settings, like menu, and then go to settings and then press the mute button, um, it will be a long uh, like path. So what I decided to do was in the, in the game, when you press the pause button, you will see uh, it will display a lateral, lateral um, panel where you can yeah. just mute the game. Uh, it will have a button there. So it's, it's really quick. If you think about it, it's just what the player is going to experience when he wants to just mute your game. Right, and as, it, as it a, should be able to make it really, really easy. And as a designer, all you have to go with, I mean, you can test it later on and we'll get to that, but the stuff that you have to go off, what I go off of is just intuition, like what I feel. Because I, I, I feel weird because I get real picky about UI, so I feel like, oh, I'd like it if it did that, or if it was right there, you know? So you have to feel how you would go through it mm-hmm. not knowing yeah. anything, you know? Um, let's go th- into some some methods, because just real quick, we'll go through a couple methods and we'll just best practices. We can just list all these off and just comment quickly on some of these. Um, so a lot of time to, 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 to counteract this, uh, peanut butter theory and you, know, you really want to make, uh, UI design and user experience design make sense that there's a thing called task centered design and I'll just list out these steps and we'll talk about it real quick. So the first step is figure out who's going to use the system, well, who's going to use the system to do what? So who's your audience? What do they need to do? That's all, you know, we talk about that all the time. Um, and then also the, the next step is choose representative tasks for task center design. A lot of this stuff, I feel like the way I interpret this is like when you're first doing it out, sometimes the details don't matter, but you're, 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 you need to like, as you're making mock-ups, it's almost like blocks. Like this screen needs to do this, this screen needs to do this, this screen needs to do this. You know what I mean? Like it's functionality. It's not what it looks like, not what it is. Yeah. Cause uh-huh. it starts in the functionality. And then the next step, I love it. It's like the research days where it's where I get all these references. It's called plagiarize. <laughs> it means go find as many things you can do and just because the moment you do that you find so many cool like oh crap that's really cool i need to use that i don't i didn't like that game or that ui but i like i found that when zach and i were doing this game i was like i don't remember i never saw that certain game saw that thought that was a great ui but i love how they have that box of info right there i could use that and as you're really digging down and thinking about these many decisions looking at a bunch of different examples of stuff even stuff you don't like gives you ideas and it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so, so then this is basically just practical stuff, rough out of design, which means, you know, the, the basics of it, think about it. Then the rough out, like I said, is the functionality and just really basic stuff. Think about it, then create mockups or a prototype that people can use and then let people test it, right? Test it, 
iterate, build it, right? Those are all things we do in the development process. But then after that, you track it and then you change it. So even those track it and change it from that standpoint becomes later on because this is something that applies to games now. We have living games as well. So when you fix a game, you iterate it on it, you iterate it on the design, the, the test team, everybody's on board with it. Your beta testers like it, you put it out. You still need to track analytics in that and see if people are having problems with things and update your UI. You know, Dota, super successful game, just completely overhauled their UI because that happens. People get used to new things. You know, they expect things and the design team, like any designer, you guys know this. I'm always like, I think I can make a better logo or something for it. Like <laughs> I do that all the time, but you do that. You're like, you know what? It's actually not done. And with games nowadays, it can always be better. And as trends come along, you know, yeah. people get used to certain types of you know, they get used to certain types of functionality and UIs and apps and stuff. Um, the Actually, re- go ahead. Oh, just to go quickly back to plagiarize, I think we've mentioned this in previous episodes, and I think we, we've beat it to a pulp already, but just when you're plagiarizing and gathering resources, make sure you go outside of your realm of right. influence. Like, go, like go I said, stuff games. you don't like, too, help me on this one. Exactly. Right. Go to websites, go to, you know, cars, like you said, car UIs. Just look for every sort of UI that you're looking at, and, and you, know, you might find some help there. Yeah, I also wanted to highlight the uh, change it part uh, because, you know, many times happens that uh, we fall in love with our product and our game and we really don't want to change it because that's our baby. We made right. it from scratch. Mm-hmm. But actually, that's going to uh, be played for your the players of your game which are going to be uh, the end user. So, like... Those are the people that you have to listen to. If it's uncomfortable for them, even if you like it because you got used to it, you should change it. Right. And that's part of it because it's going to evolve. I mean, a great UI, like I said, in four years might be outdated because people are used to other things, you know. As, I mean, because sometimes that stuff follows the trends of, you know, app designers and stuff. Because if Apple and Android do some kind of new functionality, Problem is they have like millions and people have those devices. So now they're used to that type of interaction. So you have to kind of stay on times with that. All right. So that's cool. That's a great you know, task-centered design approach. You can look that up online and really follow those methods. And it's a great little checkbox. Let's talk about some best practices. And I'll start with one that I just found in a GDC talk. And it's, it's pretty simple. And we've actually talked about this in our idea episode. We're sort of um, the guys, do, they talked about the interface design of Hearthstone. One of uh, Ryan's beloved games. Hearthstone comes a lot in UI discussions because it's very tactile and it works really well. You know, it's like the feedback's great. It works. It's awesome. And they talked about how they didn't know what, how they want to do it. And they show it's a great GDC talk. By the way, if you don't are subscribed to GDC talks on YouTube, go do it because they put out YouTube. They put out their talks on YouTube and it's awesome. Um, but he comes up with the idea that we kind of talk about the idea generation one where you need to come up with some kind of anchor saying like, what do I want it to do? I want the, I want the design to be physical. I want it to be charming. I want it to be really juicy or kind of futuristic. And their anchor in the Hearthstone was coming up the idea of making a box. Like we want, oh, this, like just a concept. Oh, this is all like a box, right? And once they had that, they could go, oh, and then all the designers started coming up with little pieces for the box and all that other stuff. So they, he calls it a seed. So you start with a seed that kind of forms an anchor for you to base your whole conception of what your UI is. Because, again, like ideas, we said, UI can be anything. So um, that's a good best practices. Um, 
A lot of stuff too in here is like know your user. We talked about that. Less is more. That's always my big thing. Based on that task center thing too, I think a lot of times in web design, they always talk about like one screen should do one functionality, right? And with games, that's kind of hard. And depending on what your game is, again, you might be having like a super hardcore game with a bunch of like strategy things and does a bunch of different things. But that all ties into your audience. If your audience is that, okay. But if you have a general audience, maybe sometimes streamlining things to really be effective and have a few prioritized actions, I think really help, you know, so you don't have 80 things on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, cause there's like using web design, there's usually like a three, cause even if it's not in that one screen, there's usually like a, they use, they call it the three click rule where it's like, well, if I want to get to something, it should take about three clicks, no matter what it is from the home screen. You know what I mean? Not, not, not searching, not functionality filtering down through everything, but saying, I just want to get to this section and look at my movies or something. Like I have to go to my section, look at movies, then go to something and then I'm there. So that's it. Those are generalized UI flow uh, methodologies that actually kind of help. Um, a big one is keep it consistent. You were talking about that, Eduardo, today. What game were you talking about? It was a Mortal Kombat. Uh, no, it was a uh, Street Fighter Five. Okay, yeah, or even like Halo and Call of Duties, and you know, you talking about the standards and like interactions, like how you interact with certain games. Well, keep it consistent. So one to keep it consistent is make sure the standards where you had like maybe the controls because that kind of ties into UI UX stuff, but like how you call. You know, make sure abbreviations are standard abbreviations, but even just to match the look and feel. He was talking about how Street Fighter V had different look at, looks and feel for different yeah, the, menu the elements. Screen, the, the, uh-huh. the um, so that's interesting. Flexibility and error recovery is interesting as a best practice to think about. Thinking about, um, I, hey, I want to upgrade this stuff, but also, did I just do it? We think about this when we used to work on our projects here, you know, at work, being able to like, people do something, can they go back? You know, can they reverse it? Do they get a confirmation on that? That's true. Stuff like that's interesting. That's um, actually, uh, sorry. Go ahead. You go ahead. Oh, this is kind of a rant, so I don't think I'll go too much detail, but it's it's actually one of the harder things, not harder, but things that developers and programmers, engineers kind of fall, kind of usually fall back on is that error recovery and rolling back and undoing, you know, actions on a, a UI. So like if you try to upgrade equipment, and it does fail, like making sure you roll back and give them all the equipment back. Right. You know, it's, it's just making sure you do that throughout development. Um, anyway, that's a really short rant about error recovery. Oh, well, yeah, because <laughs> you want to keep it consistent. I mean, you want all that stuff to be there and like actually work and and not – it goes into that expectation thing. Um mm-hmm. and, and, and tied to the – real quick, I passed by this, but tied to the less is more kind of idea – you go into this idea of, of minimizing cognitive load on a player, right? That's really the mm. thing. Cause I love this idea and we can do a whole episode about this probably like it, the cognitive load means like whether, you know, short-term memory, they talk about how short-term memory, you can keep five to nine items in your head, like in a list and you can keep those in your head for like 15 to 30 seconds, but you can, you can access them really quickly. But long-term memory is stuff that you have to recall and think about and do stuff. So it's like long-term knowledge, but a game's UI, and usually the designer space should be in that short-term memory. So don't go into a screen where they have to keep track of 80 different things. You know, like don't go into those. I get so frustrated with RPGs and stuff, right? Where you don't have a simple thing where I'm in a market and I'm trying to buy a damn sword. And I can't compare them. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. or sometimes games get that right. But like at a game like Dragon Age or something, you have a party. It's like the back in the Final Fantasy 3 day, Final Fantasy 6 or whatever, you know. 
they had an easy system where they had all your characters, and if you could, you're in the store, they had icons of all your characters, and if you went to buy something, they'd be all like cheering if it went up for them, if it was like an upgrade, <laughs> or like they didn't do anything. It was a simple system. Nowadays, it's like, so I got to remember what freaking sore that guy had, and like, you know, so that, but that's like trying to keep too much shit in your head at once. So cognitive load's a big thing, and like making sure the players have all the information, what they'd want on that screen. You know, I don't think people think about that a lot of times. Um, you know, and then a lot of these things are, you know, make it tactile, juicy. Well, I don't like juicy. I like crunchy, but juicy with animations and all this stuff. The feedback, you know, immediate. You know, Zach, you had a good point in the last episode of the the one you talked about. We did talk a little bit about best practices, but you said make sure the feedback's immediate. Yeah. And that it count, you know, that it's mm-hmm. you don't have to wait. There's no delay in that stuff. Yeah, that that's actually a real problem, especially when you get into like network games where you're like sending requests over the line, over the wire right. to the server and you should just immediately give feedback to, and then roll back if necessary. That's what I was getting at at the whole error recovery, especially with network games. You want to make sure you're doing that first, giving immediate feedback. Right. Yeah. Um, the big stuff too is iterate, iterate, iterate. This stuff I talk about Eduardo all the time. Don't you know? You need to keep looking at your stuff, and also this is a big thing. Game development, you gotta be willing to throw it away, start over, especially when you're mocking them. This is why you don't make a bunch of stuff where you mock it up. You know, so. You got to be able to throw the baby with the bathwater out <laughs> all the time too. Say, hey, I don't want any of this shit. This actually doesn't work. I need. You said the baby. I know because usually they don't throw the baby with the bathwater, but I'm saying you got to throw all the shit out. <laughs> throw it all out. That's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but with the current political climate. Yeah. I'm just well, kidding. okay. <laughs> oh, just, don't go there. Yeah. I'll I'm go there all kidding. day. Don't, but, 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 but you got to be able to just start over and don't get precious with stuff. You know, I'm like, oh, I like all this because a lot of times. I feel that the the initial the spark of design as a UI designer comes from like, oh, I think this will be cool. And that even gets to my next point. Don't get cute, too cute with stuff. Sometimes the skeuomorphism or some of that stuff where you're making stuff look real or just whatever it is. Sometimes you can get an idea in your head and you're like, I think it'd be cool if it did this. I was like, okay, well, that doesn't work though. So <laughs> we need to junk that and move on. And that, and so you just have to be willing to go with it. And the big thing, I'll end this because we kind of flying through some of these. Um, have fun with it because I think the biggest thing is a lot of, especially we come from you know we're talking to maybe programmer centric developers out there, bootstrappers out there, they're putting their stuff together. I don't know, you know, maybe there's a lot of different types of people, but we talked to a lot of programmers and and there's slash artists and web past former web developers or current web developers. But sometimes you can ease, like you said, when it becomes an afterthought and you have to get it in, even if you did a good job of integrating it back in and its UI, a lot of people are just trying to make something work, right? And sometimes they don't have fun with it, right? So I, I use Hearthstone because Hearthstone is just a great example of something that's all part of the world and it feels great and it's awesome. And yeah, I use Blood Dragon because I don't know if you guys play that, that Far Cry 3 DLC. Blood Dragon, their user experience in the tutorial, they use that user experience in the tutorial as like part of the funniness of it because it like it's just trolling you on the... on the. Uh, they kind of make fun of the annoy, annoying pop-ups in games, right? You know, where it's like, hey, so to do this, move forward, press forward. It's like, hey, are you annoyed with these pop-ups now? It's like, I bet you really wish they stop these pop-ups now. And you're like, God damn, he's like, do you really want to stop these pop-ups? It's like, oh my God, stop. So it, so some of that stuff, it's like, be willing to take some chances and stuff. That's my last point. It's like, have fun with it. Because a lot of times, one, pay attention to it. But then also, don't just settle for, try to make something cool. Because I think... I like you said, it would be nice. Like, I think really taking the time making the UX, but through UI, because it's kind of focused on UI to make the UX better. 
Yeah, they can. Another, another they really go over the finish line, makes them great. Go ahead. Another example of how fun is uh, when people put messages in the um, loading bars. Yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. You change, yeah, you're taking like all that stuff experience. keeps you in a game, and it keeps you kind of fall in love. It makes you fall in love with the game. And I think that's. I think it's all good. All right, that was a big topic. We could do like five of these episodes. I'm sorry if I got too ranty, rambling on for me, but I think it was good. It's a good primer yeah. on use. No, I mean, I liked it a lot. It was like super, uh, like insightful, and I love the part of diegetic and non-diegetic. We'll try to write this up one day in a bunch of some of our best practices we kind of skipped over. Those are the, our, our opinion parts, but we'll get into that later someday. But yeah, I think it was good. It's a good start. And then you can, there's so many great resources you can look into for this stuff. All right. Well, we'll take a break and we'll come back. We'll have the game of the week. We're back, and now it's time for tonight's game of the week is a fun, awesome title I saw last year. I think I'm not, it came out like in the fall, at some point. And I saw I watch Giant Bomb all the time. That's GiantBomb.com. They're game journalists, guys. They play games, but I I thought it'd be so fun to play. It's a local couch co-op game called Overcooked. And the basis of this game, it's like it's almost like Diner Dash and all those other kind of time management games in the past. Where like Alex, my daughter, she's six years old. She played a lot of these on the iPhone, where it's like, here, cook a burger, but it's all very like static. You touch the thing, you put it on the thing, you put a bun in, it, and all these things. This game takes it up a notch and allows you have a character that runs around in the world, or at least two. You at least have to play two player, and you start with like making soup. So you have to go grab your onions, chop them up, put them in the thing tomatoes yeah and then they, they get they graduate to hamburgers and more complicated stuff as you have orders come in but then they they don't just do that they amp it up and they have like you're on the pirate ship and now the kitchen shifting and oh, you can't yeah, reach it parts. around yeah like and it can get chaotic because there's like the thing about it is it's not you can't just go okay you handle all the chopping i'm gonna do this it doesn't work that way because there's always like three things somebody should be doing yeah right and so i i i love it. it's made in unity too this is awesome too but i, I actually um I tried to get Alex into some console games before. She actually played a little Rocket League. Good girl. After the, on the holidays, <laughs> she got into it. She, her, her and her cousin played, it and I watched them, and they beat the computer a couple times, like two on two. And she did. She got a couple goals. I was like, so she started. I have her. She has a mini Xbox controller that I got for her that she can handle. But I tried to play some games, Lego games, with her about a year ago, and she just can't handle, you know, the 3D kind of space. But this, she totally got into. After about 20 minutes of her. Like, Daddy, stop screaming at me. It's like, I'm not screaming at you. We're having fun. I'm just trying to help you. Because I was like, Alex, I had to stop. We had to have a talk. It's like, Alex, we're all having fun. I'm never going to be disappointed. We're just doing it. She had to get. Oh, because if we think about it with games, it's a great way to learn about failure and sandboxing and all that stuff. So it's like, you had to learn that. No, we're just. So if I'm like, Alex, get... screaming at her? I wasn't screaming at her. Okay. I was just saying, all right, get Make the onions, the get the onions. And she's like, I'm trying. It's like, no, I'm not yelling at you. Just get them. Get the fucking yeah, onions. Do it faster <laughs> yeah. and better. So she, but then it's so crazy because then by the next day we played for about 30 minutes and the next day she wanted to play again. And she was like, she was about 300% better. And she was getting better at the thing. Cause it's a little finicky. Cause I messed up on it too. I was like, Alex, I've been playing games for 
30. Oh, she was yelling at you. Yeah, it was, it's, it's 30 really years. Hard to, like, and so, yeah. Like, line up, like, the kitchen sink or whenever you're topping up the onions, it, get, it gets really hectic. And it's the time so much fun, though. Too. Yeah, I yeah, want to play it. We need to play it on an extra life or something we do. If, like, the problem is you got to do it in person. So we'll do something so like that. But, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I, I think it's super fun. You played a little bit, right, Avina? Yeah, I did. We played it at work. We had, like, four controllers hooked up to a uh, laptop. So it was really fun. It's the best game to just scream at your friends like, I, yeah. I need onions. And then they have friggin' boards where like rats start coming in and stealing your ingredients. Like, what are you oh, doing? Wow. Like, go kick the rats and stuff. <laughs> so you have to go kick. The, yeah, they just keep amping it up pretty well. Interesting. So check it out. Overcooked, Made in Unity. Did it get it nominated last year for? I think it was after the Unite Awards. Well, yeah, I think it was nominated because I remember. I think I remember was seeing it? it in in the video. I, I don't know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. I think I saw it in the video, but I don't think it got nominated. So I don't know. We'll see. I think That's it should true. win Game of the Year for Unity. I think it was good. Yeah, so. it was really good. It's really fun. <laughs> cool. All right. Um. All right. Before we go, we talk about we have a debug real quick. I guess we have a debug lounge. Is our Facebook group? You can go in there, share your horror stories gaming share your successes anything questioned anything you want to do we have an awesome community in there just search for the debug lounge on facebook and we'll add you to that we also have a debug lounge video show where we're posting a bunch of interviews with game developers we have a a whole series of unite interviews we did back in uh, october november so we get those out probably like once every couple of weeks so check that out eduardo you want to talk about the patreon yeah, um, again, if you want to um, support the podcast and um, you think it's uh, important for you, please uh, help us on uh, patreon.com slash the debug log and uh, make a pledge. It will be uh, awesome for us. Awesome. All right. Well, until next time, you can catch me on Twitter. I am at Andrew underscore Curry. I am at O-Beans. It's O with an H. Beans with a Z. I'm at Wookie Jumper. What was it now? 42. 42. 42. 42. 42. 42. I you guys try to reason to go if I'm not drinking. Well, you know, Eduardo won't, though. Yeah, I will drink. <laughs> I will take care of you a second. Don't worry. <laughs> Thanks. So make sure that you don't go swim in the pool or anything like that. <laughs> you know, last time I went to a wedding, I actually ended up chasing down a deer to kill with my bare hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a typical wedding. I mean, that's how they all work. <laughs> <laughs>